Well, the first thing I think he would do would be to stand up and tell the truth. I mean, he had a great expression that was uh, just tell the truth and watch them scatter. So the further away the problem is, uh, the easier it is to postpone action on. And that's essentially what we're doing. Be real. Because people in New Hampshire are really cool. I'd say get in the game. This is a problem facing your generation. You have to have a voice in the decision. Welcome to Facing the Future, brought to you by the Concord Coalition on WKXL, New Hampshire's talk radio station. I'm your host, Bob Bixby. Each week, we take a nonpartisan dive into topics related to the federal budget, the economy, and how it all affects our nation's future. This week, we'll get a checkup on the U.S. economy from Robert Carroll, principal and co-leader of the Ernst & Young Quantitative Economics and Statistics Group and a former Deputy Assistant Secretary for Tax Analysis of the U.S. Treasury Department. Concord Coalition Policy Director Tori Gorman and Chief Economist Steve Robinson join me for the conversation. While our guest today is well-versed in the economy and the effect of various policy options, he's an advisor to public and private sector clients on a broad range of policy issues, including federal tax policy, macroeconomic impact analysis, and revenue impact analysis of policy changes. Bob, Tori, and Steve, welcome to Facing the Future. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Good morning. Thanks so much, Bob. It's a real pleasure to be here. There are a number of uh, numbers to get to, but uh, let's begin with the latest news on inflation. Uh, new numbers came out this week. Um, what did they show? Yeah, they show that um, uh, inflation is continuing its gradual decline from its peak last June based on the consumer price index. It peaked at 9.1%. And the numbers this morning, um, uh, I would say, kind of uh, were more on the good side than the bad side. The, the overall CPI month over month fell by 0.1. Um, the, um, the core CPI month over month, however, uh, did rise by four tenths of a percentage point, which is a little bit on, on the high side. Of course, the core CPI excludes the more volatile uh, energy and, and food price components of, of the index. The overall CPI, it looked, I think, as I recall, is around 4%. The, the core CPI was uh, 5.3. Um, continuing a gradual decline. Uh, I think one thing to say about the report is inflation, again, continuing a gradual decline, but it remains uh, much more elevated than most forecasters thought it would be at this stage, uh, at this point in time, than they thought, let's say, a year or even six months ago. It's still well above the Fed's uh, 2% target. Um, they would like uh, the, the inflation rate to kind of settle around 2, 2.1, not based on the CPI, but based on the uh, price consumer expenditure, um, the, the personal consumer expenditure price index, which is a different metric. It tends to come in a little bit lower than the CPI, uh, at least has over the last several years. And so, um, yeah, that's that's a, one, one thing to mention about the CPI report, um, which I think is noteworthy, is that housing uh, rents in particular, which tend to come in with a lag and, and the way the CPI is constructed, that that, that component is kind of tell, telling you what's been happening with how uh, price of housing services and rents from um, several months ago, as opposed to today. That's been putting upward pressure on the CPI uh, over the last few months. And so that that is probably a good good factor to consider because that, that, that uh, as, as that component 
um, catches up, if you will, uh, that might take some pressure off the CPI going forward. So that, that could be a helpful thing going forward. Is it, uh, is it a concern that core CPI just seems very sticky? I mean, that's just not oh, coming down I, I as think, much? Or? I think absolutely. And I, I don't think it's just the core CPI. I think it's the, the overall CPI as well. I think, as I mentioned, um, you know, the inflation rate is coming down. Uh, it's coming down gradually. It's coming down much more slowly than uh, forecasters generally thought six, 12 months ago. I think it's coming down more slowly um, you know, perhaps than the Fed would like. Um, but I think all expectations are the Fed will, depending on how you want to phrase it, pause or skip um, their, their rate increase and then re-evaluate um, economic data and, and decide what to do going forward. They've had the fastest rise in interest rates since the early 1980s. Um, and I think they've, they've been so aggressive at raising rates. I think they, uh, they are thinking now is the time perhaps to take a slower approach, evaluate um, uh, the trends in the economy, the labor market, which you haven't talked about yet, but you know, remains very, very tight. The economy is, is um, I think, in the, in the face of a lot of forecasts, is surprisingly resilient. Um, so that's, that's a factor that weighs uh, on, on their mind. Uh, the economy is probably growing faster and the labor market is tighter than, than uh, our central bankers perhaps would want. Um, but, but by the same token, uh, because they've raised rates so quickly and raising rates in terms of how it affects the economy, it is like uh, steering an oil tanker. It takes effect with a very significant lag, 6, 12, 18 months. Um, they have to, you know, perhaps it's prudent to take a, a wait and see approach for a little while, which could mean one meeting, could mean two meetings. It could mean skipping uh, rate increases uh, going forward. There's still a lot of concern about uh, liquidity, bank failures. We had three significant bank failures. There's still um, uh, that that could um, the, the, the decline in liquidity could well be. Uh, not so much a good thing, but it, it will put downward pressure on the economy. And from that perspective, um, it's something the Fed needs to consider carefully and take into account. That does pose a risk um, uh, to the economy going forward. A different well, me, type of risk. Yeah. Let me uh, bring in our chief economist, Steve Robinson. Steve, uh, got a question? Yeah. So, Bob, you know, one of the uh, historically reliable indicators of a recession is the, is the yield curve. Which is essentially the you know comparison between long-term rates and short-term yep. rates, and I, you know, I think I recall one study that suggested that the uh, the ten-year and the three the ten-year Treasury and the three-month uh, bills tended to be one the one that most co closely corresponded to recessions. Yeah, the yield curve is an indicator of of recessions. It's it's generally right when it inverts. You can look at the ten versus the the two-year uh, rate on on Treasury bonds, or the ten-year versus three-year. And now both are inverted. That's a historically a pretty strong signal that a recession is coming. And um, nevertheless, um, nevertheless, the economy uh, at, at the current time seems fairly resilient. Um, it has weakened a bit in the you know in the first quarter relative to to the last quarter uh, to the fourth quarter. Um, you know. Uh, but, but there, are, there are signs that it remains very resilient. Um, consumer spending uh, is kind of moved up. Retail sales have, have moved up. The labor market, even though the unemployment rate went up um, to 3.7%, uh, 
in in um, um, in in May um, from 3.4 percent in April. Uh, the job gains uh, picked up to 339,000 job gains for, for May relative to 294,000 in April, an average of roughly 290,000 over the prior six months. Uh, U, UI claims, weekly UI claims have kind of bounced around. Um, they're now at, uh, they're now slightly above pre-pandemic levels, suggesting maybe some loosening of labor markets. Um, um, uh, job openings have been gradually descending. Uh, let's say um, the trend is gradual, uh, gradual descent from their highs from last spring. So there's kind of mixed signals, but nevertheless, the labor market, I think, by all accounts, is still real tight. Um, you know, there are different ways of measuring economic performance for the overall economy. You, you, you the viewers. The listeners may remember last spring, we had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. And the rule of thumb for most economists is, uh, hey, if you have two uh, quarters of negative GDP growth, that means we're in recession. Um, the, the official um, determinant of when we have a recession is a group of eight, a committee of eight um, well-known, nationally known, world-renowned world economists associated with the National Bureau of Economic Research. And they look in the rear view mirror and, and, and kind of make the call of whether we're in a recession or not. And they don't just look at, the, at GDP. They look at a variety of different metrics. Another metric, um, which I think is noteworthy and important to look, look at, is gross domestic income. Um, which is exactly what it would what it would seem to be. It's gross domestic income. It's a it's kind of a different way of, of measuring of, of the overall um, uh, overall economic performance. In the first two quarters of last year, 2022, while GDP was falling, uh, gross domestic income was rising by two and a half to three percent, suggesting the economy was growing quite robustly. And there were changes in inventories and uh, exports and imports that were the primary reason GDP was falling. Okay, so turn the clock forward and you look at the last quarter. Um, gross domestic income was rather weak, even though uh, GDP uh, was rising and, and indicating some resilience in the economy. So that's all to say there are different ways of looking at this. It does seem that the economy may be approaching an inflection point where um, there is some, some, some weakness. I think one thing that makes it difficult is um, we may have recession-like conditions three, six, nine, 12 months from now, but maybe not be in, in a technical recession. We might have near zero growth that might be a little negative, a little positive. It might oscillate from quarter to quarter over two or three quarters. And so I would describe that as recession-like conditions, um, but not necessarily um, a recession in the formal or technical sense. But you know, there are a lot of forecasts. The forecasts are changing quite a lot. Um, those forecasts that tend to have a recession in them are tending to move the recession further into the future. You know, you look back 12 months or six months, a lot of forecasters thought the recession was going to begin in the fourth quarter of 2022 or the beginning of 2023. Now those have tended to move into the, the third quarter of 2023 or the fourth quarter of 2023. And I think I saw one pretty notable forecast that had it in the first two quarters of 2024. But again, it, it's not that the economy is like falling off of a cliff. It's kind of weak growth that's maybe below zero, but not dramatically below zero. Or it's maybe growth that's slightly above zero, but not dramatically above zero. Um, 
All that said, the economy seems to be doing, um, showing a lot of resilience. I mentioned retail spending, consumer spending as a big chunk of GDP. Um, and um, the Atlanta Fed puts out a, uh, uh, their, uh, a forecast based on kind of real-time data called the um, GDP Now uh, forecast. And I think uh, as of, um, uh, if I get this right, as of June 8th, um, they had uh, their estimate for uh, second quarter GDP growth was at 2.2%, which is um, pretty strong. First quarter GDP growth, according to the Department of Commerce, came in at 1.3%. So that, that if you believe the, the Atlanta Fed's uh, uh, estimate, and it's kind of viewed as a rough back of the envelope estimate. Um, you know, that suggests the economy may well be picking up spe speed. That's actually consistent with the data. I mentioned retail sales and, and you know, uh, personal consumption expenditure or consumer spending. Both of those picked up uh, in the last month after declining or being relatively flat for two months. Tori. Sure. So one of the things that sort of puzzled me is that, you know, the economy, as you rightly point out, is, is, is chugging along pretty well. But President Biden's getting really low marks for on the economy. Uh, voters are really unhappy with the economy. I mean, inflation has calmed down uh, a lot. Uh, you know, the unemployment rate is low. Retail sales are strong. So what's what's the deal with this mismatch this this misperception about how the economy is is doing and is there anything that that you know if you were working in you know on the, on the council of economic advisors for for president biden is there anything that you would suggest that he do differently to sort of help steer uh, the economy in a different direction or, or or steer at least steer perceptions in a different direction when i look at the economy and look at the data i see a lot of dissonance i don't see an economy that's doing exceptionally well it's true the unemployment rate is 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 low it's 3.7% up from 3.4 still very very low the uh, the rate of uh, unemployment that economists assigned to an economy that's full employment is 4.4, 4.5%. So we really have unemployment an unemployment rate or a job market that's very tight, an unemployment rate that's probably too low. Um, you know, job openings still exceed um, unemployment by three, three and a half million. Um, it's come down from, it was at a higher level a few months ago, but it's come down, sign of loosening, good sign. But the economy is, is probably... Um, uh, given the resources that are being deployed in the labor market, for example, is probably growing too fast. And that's putting a, a lot of pressure on prices and inflation. And, you know, in the last decade or two, we had inflation that was running, uh, let's say, between one and two percent. The Fed would like it at two percent. We are still more than two times two times the Fed's target. So inflation has come down from a from a, a high that was the highest level in 40 years since the early 1980s. So the economy's, do, I would say it's doing okay. Uh, manufacturing was not doing particularly well over the last three or four months, let's say. Uh, services has been regaining some ground, particularly like leisure hospitality. Uh, that took it. That industry took it on its. The sectors took took really took it on the head during COVID. It's taken a long time to recover. You know the economy. I think is going through a significant transition. You have the return to work um, issue. Um, you have labor force participation that is still below pre-pandemic levels, and so that's that's probably a concern. Uh, we have labor productivity. And this is something I, I haven't seen a lot of focus on, an occasional article, um, but we've had labor productivity has been falling 
has been negative for five consecutive quarters. It hasn't done that since 1947. And that is uh, you know, perhaps a significant, if that persists, that's a very significant problem going forward. Um, living standards, the rise in living standards is loosely tied to population growth and productivity uh, growth. And product, productivity growth stays persistently low um, you know, then, then living standards would rise more slowly, almost by 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 definition, and um, so that's a that's a real concern. I, so, you know, who, who, you know, it's hard to explain why someone has high or low marks. Uh, just talking about the economy and the data, though, I think that it does suggest um, there's unevenness and and some dissonance. Inflation is down, but it's still a very very significant concern. Um, the Fed is talking, a lot of the, the voting members of the FOMC in the last week are, are using the term skip and pause um, and, and, not, and not really saying we're at the top of our interest rate increasing cycle. They're using very different language than, let's say, the, the markets. Um, the markets are, are thinking that, you know, maybe we'll have another inc- interest rate increase in July and then it'll plateau and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, they, they have an analytical a tool that, that looks at bond prices and, and has a forward-looking predictor of interest rates. They have interest rates coming down in the fall, uh, the Fed lowering interest rates beginning in the fall. And maybe that will happen, maybe, maybe it won't. But the markets seem to be having, you seem to have a different view of what the path of interest rates will be than, than really the signals the Fed has been giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that um, that you mentioned that I just wanted to circle back was is the labor force participation rate because, you know, we have a we have a, a problem in this country looking forward of uh, labor force growth, and uh, just because of the demographics and if the productivity trends that you mentioned uh, continue, that that would combining those two things would be a serious uh, crimp on economic growth in the in the future, <laughs> but on the I'm just wondering, since the pandemic, it hasn't it hasn't bounced back up. Is that because of structural factors like the boomers retiring or is it because people are still uh, afraid to go to work or they can't find uh, child support? Is there a factor that's that's driving that, do you think? I think it's a combination of all of those things, Bob. Um, You know, there's there's a research that suggests uh, mothers have been uh, you know, less uh, likely to, to go back to work. Uh, they have childcare um, arrangements that have to, have to be resolved. Um, that's a drag. You had the early retirements that occurred during COVID. That's, that's kind of this research on that. Um, and um, you know, so, so I think those, those are kind of factors. Um, but you point to the long-term trend, which I think is is worth coming back to when you when you go back um, into the late 90s. I think our the U.S. labor force participation rate peaked at in the, around 67, 68 um, percent. In the early 1960s, the labor force participation rate was 60 percent, and a lot of the growth, a lot of the rise in living standards that we saw during that several decades period was um, females coming into the labor force. Uh, following World War II, driving our labor force participation rate up, helping drive, um, uh, you know, really helping drive GDP growth and um, a living st- rise in living standards. That's a, a real thing. Tons of research on that. Since uh, the, the, the late 1990s, 
and um, we've had a, a gradual decline in the labor force participation rate. It was around 64% just before COVID. Interestingly, the labor force participation rate fell pretty much consistently, let's say from the late 90s until about 2008, 2009. Um, from about 2015, 16, it started increasing. We had very low unemployment rate. You may recall it settled in the three, three and a half to 4% range. Uh, from about 2016 to the, the, the beginning of COVID in, in, in the spring of 2020. And that drove the unemployment rate very, very low for a lot of marginal groups. Um, uh, and it, it just, just it drove the labor force participation rate up. So it actually broke with trend and started recovering, even though we had these demographics working against us. So that was kind of interesting. But that suggests that um, yeah, policy may well matter. You, 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 you may, you know, the, what can any administration or Congress do? There may be policies they could pursue that would have a, an impact on the labor force participation rate. Um, maybe more flexibility to more easily allow people to retire later. Um, you know, might be one thing and probably a number of things. Uh, Child care is a big factor. Um, uh, you know, I remember when I had uh, kids who were who were young. The cost of childcare is extraordinarily expensive. It's it's just as expensive now, if not more so, and is is an impediment uh, to to work uh, for for sure. Well, um, we're going to have to leave it there because uh, that's the end of our first segment. But uh, Bob, I want to thank you very much for coming on on uh, this busy day and uh, helping us figure out the latest on the economy. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Bob. Thanks. Thank and uh, Tori, Steve, and I will be right back after these short messages. Welcome back to Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby, Concord Coalition Policy Director, Tori Gorman, and Chief Economist Steve Robinson and I are going to have a little bit of a discussion about the latest economic numbers. Uh, in our first section, we heard from Bob Carroll of EY uh, reacting to the latest inflation numbers. And uh Steve and uh, and Tori, um, you know, what do we think? There's, there's really quite a mixed bag in the economy right now. And so the latest inflation numbers seem to be pretty encouraging, still, you know, edging downward. But I, I look at that core CPI number and it's still it's just people call it sticky. You know, it's not falling as much as uh, as the Fed would like, I would think, considering that they're trying to get um, inflation down to two percent and core is still above five. So I don't know, maybe I'm just a pessimist. But Steve, let me begin with you. What, what, what do you think of the key takeaways from the inflation number and uh, what effect that may have on, on uh, the Fed's decisions going forward? Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the headline number total CPI is at 4% year over year. And, you know, I remember back a year ago when, when it peaked at uh, 9%, a little over a year ago, it peaked at 9%. Everybody's like, well, yeah, you know, but that's the CPI and it's volatile and, you know, you got to focus on core. <laughs> and so now, now that the total CPI has gone from nine to four, it's like, oh, that should be good news. And everybody's looking at that. But the problem is the core, which is basically the, the CPI minus food and energy, uh, that's basically been flat. I mean, the, the month to month change for the last six months has been in the range of, of four tenths of a percent. And the, the year over year is still still at 5.3. So, you know, the core measure of inflation 
which is what the Fed focuses on and what, what you know, most economists focus on, has been you know kind of stuck. I mean, it's moving sideways. And you know, I don't think that's good news for the Fed. I mean, you know, if that core rate remains stuck around five percent, you know, the Fed's got more work to do. And and they, you know, clearly they're watching the data just like we are. But you know, I think they need to signal. You know, they, they hate to surprise the market. So I think that you know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, this week is that you know they'll stay. You know, they'll stand pat. But you know, I think they need to signal that there's clearly upward, there's room for upward movement in raising the rates again, because, you know, core inflation needs to get down. I mean, their target is 2%. And we're, you know, even though they use a different indicator, the, the indicators are close enough that, you know, with, with core CPI stuck where it is, um, you know, they it's still- It's still like twice as high. I mean- yeah, it, it, They've got uh, work to do. Or is even higher, but uh, it's still like, if you look at their target, it's still- come down a lot, but still like twice as high. It's like when we talk about the, the budget deficit has come down to just a trillion just and a, a trillion. half. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, it was, was three. Now it's a trillion and a half. Oh, look, that's great. No, yeah, no, let's uh, declare victory. Um, you know, Tori, you've been, you've been thinking about cranky consumers <laughs> and the effect of uh, all this on uh, how people think about the economy. Uh, you know, what, what, what What's your what's your thinking on these latest numbers? Well, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to put my, you know, I'm putting my staffer hat on. I'm like, hey, if I was working for President Biden, you know, what would I what would I be counseling? What would I be advising? And I think he's in a tough position right now because on one hand, you know, he wants to be a cheerleader for his his administration and he wants to be a cheerleader for the economy because, you know, part of perception is reality, right? Um, so he he wants to champion the 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 decline in the rate of inflation. But at the same time, you know, consumers are cranky. Why are they cranky? It's like, okay, great. Prices aren't galloping at, you know, 9% uh, rate of inflation, but prices aren't coming down either. Just because the rate of inflation is slowing doesn't mean that suddenly eggs, a gallon of gasoline, you know, uh, you know, your child's favorite toy, diapers, you know, formula are cheaper. Prices haven't fallen back to where they were before the pandemic. And that's what people are are still, you know, sort of that's their that's their metric. They're like, wait a minute, before COVID, I was only paying X amount for a loaf of bread. I was only paying Y amount for, you know, a, a dozen eggs. And now, you know, it's it's it's, you know, perhaps more, a lot, a lot more than that. And so, you know, economists are running around saying, Oh, the economy is healthy, the economy is strong. And people are like, well, you may say so, but that's not my experience. That's not what I'm feeling. Um, so I, I think, you know, the, the, the president's in a really, these days, it's a sticky wicket, as my father used to say, <laughs> it's hard, you know, the economy is doing well, but it's, 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 you know, people aren't perceiving it that way. That's not their, as people would say, you know, it's not their lived experience. You know what uh, I worry about or ponder about with, with all of this is that the Fed has been trying to slow the economy with interest rate hikes for, uh, quite a while now, and uh, the economy still seems to be chugging along. Now, inflation is coming down. Uh, so is the Fed engineering a soft landing? Is that kind of, is that a lesson that we could take from this? Or <laughs> is the lesson that the Fed is going to have to do a lot more and uh, that that recession is maybe getting pushed back, but it's, it's going to crash over our shores at some point? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I mean, you know, the, the the Fed is in a unique position right now because of 
what happened over basically the last decade. You have, um, you know, starting with the financial crisis, the Fed balance, the Fed balance sheet went from about a trillion or less than a trillion. It essentially doubled during the, the height of the financial crisis to two trillion, and then over the following period, it went to double again from two trillion to four trillion. And then, of course, it was about to come down and the pandemic hit and it doubled again <laughs> to over eight trillion. And so, in fact, I just checked the numbers uh, th this morning and the Fed balance sheet is still around eight point four trillion dollars. And so, you know, they're in a unique situation where they're trying to tighten monetary policy, which is by raising interest rates. Normally, they do that through open market processes where they would be selling the securities. But if you look at the balance sheet, it hasn't really gone down at all. So, you know, it's 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 interesting how much cross pressure there may be, you know, the, the desire of the Fed to, you know, keep interest rates high, bring inflation down, working with this unprecedented balance sheet, you know, it's not clear whether we have a new situation. And while, you know, interest rates are up at, at, at you know, the Fed funds rate is at five, um, you know, inflation is still at five. <laughs> and so, so you know, and as I said, was was saying earlier, the, Fed, the inflation appears to be moving sideways. So I don't think the Fed has quite got the genie, the inflation genie back in the bottle. And so while, you know, as our earlier guest was saying, the economy appears to be strong and the normal indicators, the yield curve, the things that might be indicating recession, they seem to be indicating recession, but the the, the labor market isn't, isn't uh, you know, hasn't gone along with that yet. And so you have all of these mixed signals, which suggests that maybe the, sh the other shoe hasn't dropped, as they say, and the Fed is going to have to keep pushing interest rates up to get inflation under control. And at that point, what normally happens when the Fed keeps pushing interest rates up to control inflation, unemployment goes up and you get a recession. And I, I think that it may be delayed, but I don't think it's avoided. This delayed recession has interesting political uh, implications if it <laughs> if it happens because uh, it would come you know be, be pushed yeah, into the presidential election season right, right. Yeah. which doesn't bode well for the incumbents normally. The political advice is usually get your recession out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it certainly didn't look like. Uh, uh, like that's happening. Um, I mean, Tori, do you think that uh, fiscal policy is playing a role at all or not much in the inflation story? To what extent is there a time lag with fiscal policy? <laughs> uh, you know, because we spent a lot of money for uh, several years during COVID uh, trying to keep people afloat. We're obviously not spending as much, but, you know, our deficits are still really, really large. So, uh, but then again, you take a look at the, the Congress that was, you know, the, the, the Congress that began on January 3rd of this year, and they really haven't done much except, you know, prevent a debt crisis, you know, by raising the debt ceiling, we, they prevented a debt crisis. But in terms of other legislation, they really haven't managed to, to get together and pass much. And I would expect that to probably be the, the theme for the year. So in terms of, you know, passing legislation that increases the deficit by a lot, you know, I'm not seeing a pathway for, for that because the two sides can't agree on how to do that. Yeah, I think the the fiscal contribution to inflation is probably behind us, and clearly the 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 COVID relief played a role in pushing inflation up. But going forward, as Tori suggests, um, you know, there, there's not the, the 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 excessively stimulus new policies 
But the problem, of course, is that the existing policies are still, yeah, but, from yeah, a fiscal already, perspective, are still somewhat stimulative. Yes. You know, when the Fed makes their, their move, I, I guess we should say that a pause does not necessarily mean an end. Right. And nor does uh, it refer, nor does it reflect. Uh, it's not an inflection point either. It doesn't mean that the next move the Fed makes is going to be a, a rate cut. Um, it just it's just that it's a pause. Let's just see. Wait and see where we are. Assess the the surroundings. Yeah, it will be interesting um, because a lot of the times the market seem to think that the Fed is surely the Fed is going to start lowering. And uh I'm not seeing that in any anything coming out of the Fed. I mean, I think they've been pretty clear that uh, a pause doesn't mean an end, and they might even raise things again if um, if that predicted recession uh, never comes about. Um, well, it's time to take another break. You're listening to Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby. Concord Coalition Policy Director Tori Gorman and Chief Economist Steve Robinson and I are discussing the latest news in the economy. We'll be right back after these short messages. Welcome back to Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby, Concord Coalition Policy Director Tori Gorman. Chief Economist Steve Robinson and I are discussing the latest economic news, and we're going we're gonna to transition a little bit now. Uh, to events in Washington uh, concerning the federal budget. Now that we have the debt ceiling crisis behind us, thank goodness. Um, Tori, you mentioned in our last segment that uh, deficits have been coming down, but they're still too high. And I noticed uh, something last week in CBO reports that indicate that the, the deficits may actually be turning back up again. Um, and this this era of easy deficit reduction seems to be over. You might remember because of the pandemic in uh, 2020, the deficit just went through the roof. I mean, it went mm. from well, it was already pretty high around, you know, it was already about a trillion uh, in, in uh, 2019. And then it then it shot up to three trillion. And then it came down to 20 uh, is about two point eight trillion. Uh, in in 2021, and then in 2022, it came way down to 1.4 trillion. Still very high, of course, by historic standards. But it looks this year that the uh, the the deficit trend is turning higher. CBO is projecting that the deficit will be somewhere around 1.5 trillion this year. And they looked at the quarterly, they looked at, um, they, they put out a monthly report on the budget, uh, just summarizing activity for the month. And the, the May budget review, uh, I thought was kind of significant. So I wrote a, wrote a blog about it. And it, um, you know, because to me, it shows what's happening pre-pandemic. The pre-pandemic um, uh, patterns are reasserting themselves and so if we're going to do any more deficit reduction from here on in, we can't just count on pandemic spending easing. We've, we've gotten those savings. Uh, and so what are we looking at? Same sort of things that we were, would have been looking at in 2019. Uh, the fastest growing programs in so far this year, through the first eight months of the fiscal year, have been Medicare, 17%, Social Security, 11%, Medicaid, 8%. 
uh, and uh, interest on the debt, a whopping 34 percent. Bingo. Um, you know, and meanwhile, revenues have fallen by 11 percent uh, from the pace of last year. So, uh, you know, I don't want to be a pessimist, but let's just say we got the debt limit uh, crisis behind us. But um, the old problem is still there, still rearing its ugly head that we have a structural deficit between basically entitlement spending driven by demographics and healthcare costs and uh, and revenues. So um, I don't know, Tori, what what are what are what are policymakers planning to do about this? What I think is interesting is, uh, you know, House Republicans are intent on writing appropriation bills that spend less money than the prior year, all all in. So that that's sort of flies in the face of what the debt limit agreement um, they signed on to or that the, that the leadership signed on to. So that, that'll be an interesting fight. Um, but, you know, going back to your point about deficits are larger, you know, there are obviously two, there are two elements to making a deficit. There's spending and there's revenues. One of the things I'd be interested in taking a look at is the revenue side. What's going on on the revenue side? Is it, is it because, you know, if, is it wage and salary income that's, that's slowing? And so tax revenues are not as, as, as aggressive as they were last year, or is this a function of, of capital gains, taxation of capital gains. Um, if you know the stock markets aren't doing as well, and a lot of our, our wealthy, um, uh, you know, taxpayers here in, in the United States, they they re- they pay taxes on capital gains. That's where their 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 income predominantly comes from. People like Warren Buffett, et cetera. Um, you know, if if the stock market's down, maybe that explains why revenues are down. Um, I'd be interested in, in understanding what's. I mean, we know what's going on on the spending side. I'd be it's 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 interest and entitlements. I'd be really interested to see what's going on on the revenue side. Yeah, it's I, I the CBO is speculating a little bit that it might be uh, a drop in capital gains realizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were anticipating. They they pointed out in this uh, May report that they weren't. Anticipating revenues coming down this year because we had a big spike mm-hmm. in the last year, probably due to temporary factors and uh, delayed payments from prior years coming due. And so CBO was expecting a, a, a decline, and it, they noted that it's been steeper than expected. And it's that steeper than expected part that they're not sure of. And of course, the fiscal year isn't over yet. It's uh, but we're eight months into it, so there might be a trend. Um, uh, Steve, anything strike you about these? Where we are in the uh, is the tide turning, as you might say, in fiscal policy? Well, I mean, you know, the the, the real issue, and this goes back to our earlier discussion, is the role that inflation plays in driving interest rates. I mean, when I, I've I said this several times now, but I'll say it again. I mean, when you have $30 trillion in publicly or you know the national debt, every time you get a one percentage point increase in the interest rate, that's $300 billion. And what we've seen is the, the interest rates uh, going from, you know, short-term interest rates were below 1% uh, a year ago, two years ago. And now they're in the range of four or 5%. And, you know, that's just a huge... Um, cost to the federal government is, is interest rates. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that they'd gone up, you know, interest costs have gone up by, by over a third. 
you know, that's, you know, as long as inflation remains on the table and interest rates remain high, you know, that just gets baked in and you've got to, you've got to pay that interest cost. It's not, you know, it's not like, you know, we were fighting over discretionary spending and how much, you know, we're going to be able to cut and whether we're going to be able to, to roll discretionary back to the 2022 levels. I can guarantee you the, inf- the interest cost numbers are not, not <laughs> right. going back to the 2022 numbers. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're going to go up and uh, that's, that's just a real problem that Congress is, uh, you know, has really no way to control. Well, you know, I look at uh, the what they can control and what they just did was pass the uh, Fiscal Responsibility Act of uh, 2023. Um, uh, this was a debt ceiling deal. And, you know, CBO gave an estimate of what effect it would have on their baseline. And, you know, it's, it's pretty underwhelming, uh, you know, over the, the, the 10 year period, they CBO said that the debt to GDP ratio uh, would come down from 118% or 119% that they were projecting to 115%, about a 3% change. So, uh, it's just important. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done this deal. They should have done the deal to, 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 to get over the, uh, you know, to get past the debt crisis. But we have to be realistic and they have to be realistic about what can be accomplished when you take Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, and basically defense. Um, well, they didn't, I shouldn't say defense. That was, that was on the table. But they took the major entitlement programs off the table and they took revenues off the table. Uh, and, you know, so they came up with a deal that does very, very little to change the long term fiscal trajectory. And, you know, that's what that's showing. And, you know, we're going to get a report from the CBO sometime later this month on the long term budget outlook. And I'll, you know, bet anything that it will still look pretty unsustainable because when CBO looks at the long term, they're looking at the uh, future of Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, the other healthcare programs, and and the revenues that are projected to come in under current law. And of course, current law is projecting a big tax cut in 2025. Um, so this Fiscal Responsibility Act, uh, which got the debt ceiling suspended, it it just it shows that when you're not playing with a full fiscal deck, so to speak, you're not going to get big results. I'm not trashing the bill. I'm just saying it, uh, it only dealt with a very small part of the budget. Eh, you know, maybe a third of the budget was on the table. Can't get big results that way. Yeah, I, th- I think you meant to say a, a tax increase in 2025 because the, the 2017 tax cuts. That, well, expire. it's the tax cuts. Right, right. That will expire. Exactly. What I'm, what I'm, when I say... Uh, what's going, what is likely to happen is that expiring tax cuts will be extended. Oh, right, right. So, <laughs> making the situation even worse. Exactly. exactly. Making the situation even worse. And speaking of which, um, I hear, Tori, maybe you've heard these rumors that the first thing up on the agenda on the Republican side in the House is to enact a tax cut. <laughs> well, this week they're going to vote on on preserving our gas stoves, which is of vital national importance. So, but yes, uh, the House Ways and Means Committee 
is marking up legislation this week that it it, it it's a big it's a big tax cut. Um, you know, there's stuff in there for individuals. They're going to increase the size of the standard deduction, but there's a lot of stuff in there for business as well. They're going to make the R&D tax credit uh, that was adjusted as part of the 2017 tax bill permanent. They're going to make the the bonus depreciation that was part of the uh, the 2017 tax cut permanent. Um, and it looks like they, they, they might offset a little bit of it by repealing some electric vehicle uh, tax credits. So if you're looking at a, apparently they don't want people to have tax credits to go buy electric vehicles. So, um, anyway, well, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens. And of course, none of that's going to happen, but it's, it's a messaging device because it wouldn't get through the Senate and the president would veto it. But it's just kind of interesting that, uh, after all taking us to the brink on the debt ceiling, it's uh, teeing up a, a tax cut. And uh, <laughs> all too soon, our time for this week has run out. Thanks to Steve Robinson and Tori Gorman for joining me on this discussion of the budget and the economy. This is Bob Bixby. I'm your host on Facing the Future. We'll be back next week with another episode. 